Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show. Welcome to with the Aaron Bronstetter. TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. And we have plenty of interviews to get to this week, so let's jump right in. We're going to start off with Danny Sabatello. And the reason I'm starting with Danny Sabatello is, you know, it's not that frequent that you get somebody coming off of a pretty big loss like he had, a split decision loss for a championship in Bellator. And to have him a couple days after that, to kind of reflect on it, look back on the fight, what could he have done better, etc. I think that Danny Sabatello, in this particular interview, was really, really candid, and I, I really appreciate that. So I'm going to lead with that. I think that if you watch any Bellator, this is a fighter who really came onto the scene this year. Only four Bellator fights before getting a shot at the championship by entering the tournament kind of as a wild card. And unfortunately fell short against Rafael Stotts, but I think that this is going to be a big learning experience for him. Now we'll move on to the UFC, which has a fight night this weekend, headlined by Sean Strickland and Jared Cannonier. But we spoke to four of the fighters that fight a little bit earlier on in the card on this particular show. We'll start off with Drew Dober. I always love speaking with Drew Dober. He is uh, somebody who... He's been basically a staple of the lightweight division for some time and uh, always fun to watch, always puts on enjoyable fights. We'll hear what he has to say. We'll also speak with Jake Matthews, who had a career best performance earlier this year. And I'm really excited to see him continue to do his thing. I mean, he's a guy that's just 28 years old. He had his first UFC fight at 19. Pretty unbelievable. You look at Raul Rosas Jr. and the kind of acclaim that he is getting. Think of Jake Matthews coming out of Australia, where they barely had any fighters in the UFC at that point in time that were making any sort of noise. You had, like, the king of rock and rumble, Elvis Sinisich, but there weren't a whole lot of fighters from um, Australia on the scene at that point in time, and Jake Matthews has been making some noise ever since. Just 19 years old, of old uh, sorry, of age rather then, now 28, and I think he's entering his prime and going to make some noise in the UFC. Then we have Duran Wynn. I, I loved speaking with Duran Wynn. He was super um, open about a lot of the things that he's gone through in his life. You know, this is a guy who's five foot six, 185 pounds, very much on the shorter side. And he's probably always had to deal with that as a, as a wrestler, an amateur wrestler, and now, of course, a mixed martial artist. He's always been, you know, this is the short guy. And I think that when you have that kind of a stature in a division that has people that are 6'2", 6'3", you know, it's, it's difficult to train to face Duran, but I think it's even more difficult for Duran to figure out the range of a lot of these bigger guys. So we'll see how he does against... The next guest, Julian Marquez, joins the show. He's obviously had some issues with uh, what's going on at uh, Glory, MMA, and Fitness. His coach, James Krause, of course, uh, if you have been following along, is currently prohibited from cornering anybody, basically anywhere. He was just suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission today. Um, you know, Julian really wanted to focus on his fight with Duran, so I, I didn't really ask him much about that situation, uh, just out of respect for him. I, I mean, it's fight week for him. If he wants to address it, I think after the fight is the, the proper time to ask him about the details of, uh, of what's going on. You know, these guys are so hyper-focused on their opponent. I don't think it would be fair for me to, um, the week of the fight, you know, especially, I did ask him about it beforehand and said, you know, how comfortable are you t talking about it? And he said that he didn't really want to focus on that. So out of respect to him, uh, of course, you know, I, I mentioned off the top that uh, it's not something that he really wants to discuss. So we'll get to that. Followed by Sonny Serene, who is the CEO, I believe, or president uh, of Unified MMA. Basically runs the show. 
And he's been doing this for many, many years out in Edmonton as a regional promotion. And now he's expanded to the rest of Canada. He's do, he did three or is going to be doing three shows in 15 days. We already have the Calgary show behind us coming up, the Toronto show on Friday. The next day in Edmonton, they have a show. So him and uh, the matchmaker, Robert Viewers have been working around the clock to make three events happen in 15 days. And I mean, when you're the UFC and you have those kind of resources, you can make it happen. And even they don't do three events in 15 days for the most part. But when you're a, a smaller regional promotion, it takes a lot of manpower to put something like that together. So kudos to him for doing this in Canada, where the regional scene has really needed some resuscitations since COVID. So good on him. The main event of, that, of the Toronto card is uh, Shane Campbell against Hollywood, Darren Smith Jr. And uh, Darren Smith Jr. joined me as well. So he will be the final guest on this week's interview edition. So let's get right into it. We're going to start off with Danny Sabatello, followed by Drew Dober, Jake Matthews, Deron Wynn, Julian Marquez, Sonny Serene, and Darren Smith Jr. Thank you for tuning in. Here we go. Danny Sabatello suffered his first Bellator loss over the weekend, and I appreciate him taking the time to speak with me about it. Uh, of course, very close to earning the Bellator interim bantamweight championship in just your, what, fourth fight in Bellator? Is that right? Yep. Yeah, so you should be very proud of how, uh, how far along you got in such little time in Bellator. But of course, the decision didn't go your way. I was wondering if you had a chance to rewatch the fight and uh, if you were able to gather some thoughts on it a couple days removed from the event. Yeah, you know what? One thing you should do as a fighter is go back and rewatch the fight no matter how you feel. Um, and I did that. I've watched the fight maybe four times now. And, uh, you know, every single time I'm done watching that fight, I just think to myself, there's no way I fucking lost that fight. Um, I give him one round. I give him that third round. But even in that third round, I had more control time, which I understand control time isn't everything. You know, damage is uh, worth more than control time. And, and I do understand when people say, oh, you got to have a lot of damage in these fights. But you know, with this fight specifically against Stotts, uh, I had around 11 minutes of control time, and he had under one minute of control time. Um, and then when you hear that, you kind of think, okay, but did the other guy have a lot of damage that could maybe trump the control time? And I went back and I looked, and, and he didn't have any damage. Um, so, again, you know, there's obviously things in that fight that I need to do that I should have done. I should have thrown more volume. I absolutely should have done more ground and pound. I should have taken more risks and went for submissions. Um, but I think I kind of just got pulled into a trap of thinking, well, if, if he's not throwing up any submissions or he's not hitting me from the bottom, then I, I didn't feel in danger of, of losing any rounds. So I think, um, I mean, man, it's just frustrating. You know, again, I, I think there's no way he won the fight. Um, he didn't do any damage. I didn't do that much damage either. I admit that. But when that cancels itself out, you know, what other territories did you win? And, and I had control time by far. So it's frustrating. But you know what? It goes on, and I'll get that. I'll get that belt eventually. Well, I think you made a good point in the post-fight press conference where you said, you know, maybe if I could cheat the judges by just landing a couple little pitter-patter shots. But honestly, I've taken a judging course, and the judges are looking for that. They're looking for anything that constitutes a strike, right? So if they see you on the ground controlling, that's not really scoring in their minds. What they're looking for is any sort of damage that can be done. So I think you're on the right track in terms of uh, that interpretation going forward. No, absolutely. And I've watched the fight with uh, my coaches a couple of times. And it's even more so if you're just posturing up and hitting their arms, obviously that's good. That's points in the judge's mind. Um, but again, you know, obviously I should have done that. And again, I do admit that I should have done that. 
but that doesn't mean the other guy should win the fight since I wasn't doing that. You know, it's not like he was on bottom and he was throwing up a bunch of strikes. It's not like he was on bottom and throwing up a bunch of submission attempts. You know, I do agree if somebody is on top and doing nothing, but the guy on bottom is doing a lot of work. I do agree the bottom guy should be rewarded that round. But I, I just, I encourage everybody that even has just some sort of opinion on this fight to go back and actually watch the fight. He didn't hit any clean shots, whether it be on the ground or the feet. On the feet, I counted two jabs that landed on me, and I actually had a little bit more cleaner striking. He had his back to the center, so it looked like he was having more cage control because he was walking forward and I was walking back. But if you go look at the actual strikes that landed, he didn't land anything other than two jabs, and I landed a, a hook. Um, I landed a snap kick up the middle that hit him good, and I landed a fake shot to a two that landed really good. But again... On the ground, um, he wasn't throwing up any submissions. He wasn't throwing up any punches. So I think just by default with the control time, I should be winning that. But but again, you know what? There's so much that I could have done. And it's also easy to say in hindsight, but when you're there and you're controlling an opponent, if you go to posture up and strike, you can lose that position. And I think that that's something that people don't really consider either. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I felt in control pretty much that entire fight. Um, we got in some crazy scrambles, which is very fun. You know what the bottom line is? I had so much fun in that fight. It was a very fun fight for me. Um, but I felt like I just kind of controlled it the entire time. Um, again, yeah, absolutely. If you posture up and you break your control, you could risk losing the position. Um, and, and again, I try to think back what I was thinking in the moment in that fight. And I think, again, if he was throwing shots while I was controlling him, I think I would have started to throw shots. But I kind of just got lulled into a trap of, you know what, he's not doing shit and I'm on top of him controlling him. So I have to be winning these. But you can't fall into that. You know, you always got to be chasing the finish. I've learned so much from this fight. I probably learned more from this fight than any other fight. Um, obviously, it's going to be very different going forward with my fights. It's going to be very different when I do fight this motherfucker again because we are for sure going to fight again. It's going to be a massive fight. I hope he goes and he beats Apache and then goes and beats Pettis. And then I can rematch him for the belt. I think that'd be sick. I think that'd be awesome. And whether you thought I won or lost that fight, there is no way you don't think that I will be favored in the rematch. I think everybody knows in this rematch, I will for sure be favored. I proved that I'm so much better. He got a lucky decision. You know, however the fight went, whatever you think it was, I think everybody knows that I'm better than that guy. I think your good work kind of gets overshadowed by the scorecards. Uh, everybody's been talking about this 50-45 scorecard that, that Douglas Crosby submitted. But, you know, had it been 50-45 for you, 48-47 for you, and then 48-47 for Stoss in a split decision, I think you'd be getting a lot more credit. But I think a lot of people, because both other scorecards went to Stoss and they were, they were actually the same rounds scored by the judges, that a lot of people are kind of dismissing your good work that you did in this fight. But a 50-45 scorecard... Um, it's a tough one to defend because, like you said, I think the third round was fairly clear for him. Um, I can't remember what other two rounds were aligned by the judges, but just, uh, you know, even if there's just one singular round that seems clear for, for Stotts, it kind of makes people dismiss that scorecard. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just frustrating because, you know, we're in an imperfect sport. This isn't football where if you cross the goal line, it's immediately six points. You know, we don't have that. We don't have, uh, oh, if you touch them on the chin, it's worth four, but a takedown is worth two. And there's just no systematic thing that you can do. Um, but you, what you can do is kind of try to gauge what a judge is looking at. Um, obviously, everybody has different views on control time and damage and octagon control and submission attempts and all that. 
You can try to put yourself in one guy's mindset. And I think that Crosby guy valued control time. Um, and again, I admit, I think that Stotts won that third round. I don't have it 50-45 me. I have it 49-46. But I can see where he's coming from because I did have control time um, in that third round. So again, I, I'm not backing it up. I don't say that I agree with him, but I do see where he's coming from. I think people need to be more open when viewing other people's opinions. You know, you can't just totally write it off. You know, again, I'm not saying I won the round, but I but I do understand if somebody values control time more, I do understand if someone values damage more. That's why I think I'm so upset with the judges because I don't really understand where they thought he won. You know, was it damage that they thought he won? Well, I don't have a mark on my face. I'm completely fine. Um, if I have 11 minutes of control time and that guy wins a fight based off damage, man, that guy better have some pretty fucking good damage, but he doesn't have any damage. Um, again, I'm completely fine. Um, I could fight tomorrow. You know, if it were up to me, I would fight tomorrow. I want to fight ASAP. I want to get back on track to a path to the belt, a path to fighting Rafael Stotts again. Um, but again, you know what? It, it is what it is. I, I am on a path to the belt again, whether it's Rafael or not. You know, I hope it is because I will fight that guy again someday. Uh, but either way, my concern is the belt. Uh, Stotts is going to go his route, but he's still going to mention my name because he knows I'm the biggest in Bellator. So obviously he's going to try to still clatch onto that uh, win. I see that he's still tweeting at me and Instagramming about me, which is smart on his end because you know what? Keep bringing me up. I made his career. I'm going to continue to make his career as long as he talks about me. But I'm, I'm already uh, have my eyes on someone else, whether it's Josh Hill or James Gallagher. I just want to get the ball rolling and smash someone's face. It certainly doesn't help that Crosby flew across the country that night or that next day and then gave Patty Pimblett the first round of uh, the Pimblett-Gordon fight, which I thought was a, a very clear Gordon round. Uh, that, you know, yeah. I think that that probably affects the decision as well. No, 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 100%. If it wasn't for that, I don't think anybody would be talking about the 50-45, to be honest with you. But it is very contradictory because everyone's saying that Gordon won that fight. Uh, because Gordon had so much more control time than Patty. Um, so uh, that's kind of a head scratcher there. So I don't understand if I have the control time and you think I lost, but then you think Gordon won because he had, I think it was six minutes and 32 seconds of control time and Patty had under a minute. Very similar to our fight. I don't see how you could say that uh, Gordon won the fight um, because maybe Patty actually did have a little bit more damage, but Gordon had so much more control time. Very similar to our fight. Um, I think that if you think Gordon won, then you should think that I won. Uh, and if you think Patty won, then you should think Stotts won. But obviously, no case is the exact same. Every fight is very different. Strikes are very different. Control is very different. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I had Gordon winning that fight as well. I think he completely controlled the fight. I think he did have some good shots on the feet, too. I think he had landed that hook, his left hook, he landed maybe like three or four times, which was beautiful. Um, but, you know, again, this is fighting. Fighting is contradictory. It always will be. It always can be. Um, and, and there's just no perfect system. There's no perfect way to fix it. The only thing that you can do is finish your opponent. And I hate it when people say that. Of course, we're trying to finish our opponents. But the bottom line is that's true. You know, you, if you want a for sure victory, you got to finish the guy. How familiar are you with the scoring criteria? Because I know that there are a lot of fighters that don't really, you know, go over it. And, and a lot of coaches don't go over it. And I, I, you know, I personally think that you have kind of a cheat code in front of you if you read the scoring criteria. Because you, like you said, after your, at your press conference, you can kind of cheat the judges into thinking you're doing more damage than you actually are if you're just putting out volume. No, absolutely. And I, and I think you do need to be intelligent enough to understand what the scoring criteria is. But no matter what it is, there's just no point system where you can say that. Um, you know, obviously, damage is worth more than control time. But who's to say 
two hard strikes are better than 77 takedowns. I mean, you can't, there's no actual, there can be a scoring criteria, but you can't judge what is better than the other. You know, obviously one takedown versus one knockdown, the knockdown's going to win. But what happens if you get one knockdown and the other guy's on top the rest of the fight? You know, I, I, some judge might say the knockdown trumps, you know, it's just, it's a very gray area, very sticky. Um, you obviously do need to review it and do need to understand damage is what everybody is looking for. That's what the judges are looking for. But again, it's just, it's an imperfect system and it never will be perfect. I had a judge um, lay it out for me perfectly. He says that judging a mixed martial arts fight is like grading an English exam, not grading a math exam, right? Like the answers are all interpretive. And I think that that's a really succinct way of putting it. No, absolutely. But you know what? That's what kind of makes this sport very unique. You know, at the end of the day, I lost and, and I'm pretty pissed off. I'm probably the most pissed off I've ever been in my entire life. You know, I got to buy a whole new wardrobe. I threw out all the clothes that I wore that fight week just because the loser wears those clothes. You know, I'll never wear those clothes again. I'm very pissed off about it. But you know what? I signed up for this business. This is a fight business. This is a crazy game. I knew this could happen. Um, along the way, usually this does happen. Nobody really goes through an entire career unscathed or upset about some sort of decision. So, again, you know what? I have my head on straight. You know, I know I'm only 29 years old. I know I'm just new to this. I just got into Bellator. Obviously, I have a very high road ahead of me. Um, it's going to continue to be massive Danny Sabatello fights. But this one's always going to burn. You know, I'm not going to lie and sit here and say, oh, I'll forget about this and time will heal it. No, you know what? For the rest of my life, I'll have an L on my record. That's just calling a spade a spade. It's going to always suck. Um, obviously, it's not the end of the day. I will have bigger fights, of course. You know, again, I'm new to this. Um, but you know what? It's already head up. Chase it forward. You know, it doesn't matter how many losses in a row this was. I'm already motivated for my next fight. I think you put it best earlier in the interview. This is a great learning experience. I mean, I look at Magomed Ankalaev from the UFC this weekend. His first loss of his career and first UFC loss was uh, tapping out at 459 of the third round. And now there's this split draw that cost him the championship. Like, you can't find better learning experiences than, than what you went through this weekend and what he went through this past weekend and in that Paul Craig fight. Like, these are the kind of things that build better champions and make you a better fighter down the road rather than resting on your laurels. Yeah, 1,000%. And the good thing is, as I took this loss early in my career, you know, obviously you never want to end the career on a loss or have it towards the back end. But I think it came in, in kind of a fortunate timing. You know, uh, I just had four fights. That was my fourth fight in Bellator. Obviously, it was for the interim belt. Obviously, it was a massive fight. But if you just look at the trajectory of my career, each fight keeps getting bigger. Um, and even my next fight might even be bigger than this Stotts fight. You never know. Um, so obviously, with this being a learning experience, um, I'm going to take a lot away from it. I think everybody saw how dominant I am. And obviously, it's just a scary thought how much more dominant I can be. You know, I'm going back to the gym. I was already in the gym earlier today. Um, and I'm just getting get it. I'm just going to get better and better. Um, and I'm going to get that title. And again, this isn't the end of the world. You know, of course, it was a massive fight. But I'm early in my career right now. And, you know, it could be working out for the best. And finally, you know, take the fact that you want to face Ralphion again out of the picture here. Mix had a phenomenal win over Magomedov. Who do you think wins in the, the finals of the uh, uh, Bellator Bantamweight Tournament? Yeah, I think Stotts beats Patchy. Um, Patchy is very dangerous. I kind of had a feeling that's how Patchy needed to win was a finish. You know, Patchy is actually pretty dangerous. He's got some pretty good submissions. 
Um, he's got a, a, a crazy guillotine, and he's also good on your back when he has that body locked at figure four position. But if he doesn't get either of those positions, I don't think he's very good. I think Stas is going to be able to weather that storm and, and understand that, you know, the guillotine is coming, you know, the body lock on the back is coming. Um, but if Patchy doesn't get that, he's just not on Stas's level. Um, and again, with Magomed, I, I don't think that guy's grappling is actually that good. He puts himself in such dangerous positions. I really don't get it. Um, I went back and I actually watched that fight too. And he just makes critical errors that I just don't really understand what he's doing. You know, sometimes he'll show glimpses of intelligent, high-level grappling. And then sometimes he puts himself in such danger. Um, even when Magomed fought Stotts, Stotts had a rear naked choke for like three minutes, uh, I think in that last round, where Magomed just put himself in such a bad position. Um, so I think Magomed puts himself in terrible positions. You know, I'm not trying to discredit Patchy, even though I do think Patchy sucks, but I don't think Magomed's very good on the ground. Um, and, and yeah, so for that reason, I think Stotts is going to be intelligent. He's going to understand the only path to victory for Apache is a submission, um, and, and I, I don't see him getting it. He could get lucky, of course. Of course, he, anybody can get lucky, but I see Stotts beating Apache, and then I see Stotts beating Pettis. Well, Danny, I appreciate your perspective on this, especially so close to the, the fight itself. Um, and I should mention, it's only 11.15 a.m. here, so you've already been to the gym once today. No Christmas vacation for Danny Zabatello. Right back at it. Uh, so I appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this, and, uh, and happy holidays to you and your family. And look forward to speaking with you again soon. Yep, absolutely. Merry Christmas. Drew Dober welcomes Bobby Green back to the UFC this Saturday, having a great year 2-0 so far in 2022. And I'm sure he wants to make it around three for this particular year. Tell me about Bobby Green and how he matches up against you. Very, very difficult guy to train for. I mean, this is a fight that I've, I've wanted for a long time. Uh, and I've been a fan of Bobby's uh, for a while. And... Uh, you know, it's just it was it's a long time coming. We've been we've we've been wanting to fight each other. We've been eyeballing each other for for years now, and uh, I mean the stars lined up, and uh, we were able to uh, engage in fisticuffs right before uh, Christmas. So I'm I'm super excited. I think when I spoke to you in Dallas after your fight against uh, Rafael Alves, he was the name you mentioned. So um, I'm guessing this fight was just offered to you, and you you were an immediate yes. Uh, you know, with Bobby coming off a of suspension, I'm sure that uh, he's he's eager to get back in there. You know, actually, it was, I mean, I, I was telling the UFC I was ready to fight in December. And I've been, I was looking at December 3rd, the 10th, or the 17th. And uh, I, I agreed to fight four or five people. And, uh, I mean, nothing really, uh, uh, you know, came uh, came across in, in contract form. And so I was kind of just like, all right, well, hopefully somebody says yes. And uh, lo and behold, Bobby Green's suspension is up, and uh, he said yes. And so uh, I, I'm quite blessed. Are you happy to fight three times this year? I feel like a lot of fighters hope to get three fights in a year and you actually get to do it. Yes. I mean, that's always the goal. The goal is uh, three or more. Uh, I, I hate sitting on the bench and, and watching other people fight. Uh, but, you know, with injuries and training camps and all that stuff, you know, it's hard to get three fights in, uh, especially when, uh, you know, as you get closer and closer to uh, the title, people get a little bit more particular. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to get three in and, uh, have the chance to entertain the fans before the year's up. It seems like an eternity ago that you fought Terrence McKinney. Like, I'm looking at it now. It's nine months ago. Doesn't it feel like that fight was forever ago? His knee feels like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like every single fight. It's like in your mind, you're thinking like, oh man, I, I fought Rafael Alves like yesterday. And uh, then you have to do the math, and you're like, oh, man, it's been quite some time. 
uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of long layoffs, but, uh, you know, in my older age, my body definitely appreciates them. It's the same corner for this fight. It's uh, Elliot Marshall and the, the coaches from Elevation, I believe it is. That's my dream team. We got Elliot Marshall, Dave Zabriskie, and Oscar Martinez. Um, they're always uh, behind me 100%, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Were you at UFC 282 this weekend, or did you just get into town? I just got in town. I mean, I was trying to fight on that card. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we just uh, – we wanted to – I like doing my camps in Denver, Colorado with the high altitude and the guys out there. So, uh, yeah, as much as I would have loved to be a part of that, um, now I finished up camp in Denver. Did you, uh, did you get a chance to watch the card? I did not. I've just been reading about it, and what I've been reading is – it's been fairly negative. <laughs> well, the card itself was excellent. I mean, it was finish after finish up until the final two fights of the night, which both happened to go to a controversial decision. So it's like everything was smooth sailing. And then, of course, you know, weird stuff always happens in MMA. Right. I feel like the the final two fights kind of overshadowed the rest of the fights. Uh, I, I think I just got to go back and watch the replays of uh, every other fight, excluding the last two. But uh, I don't know. I might watch that Patty fight to see uh, who I think actually won. Well, I mean, it is in your division, so I think it uh, certainly wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. I mean, I think that people are making a bit of a big deal about something that wasn't, wouldn't call it a robbery, personally. But, you know, there's a lot of nuance to MMA, and that's the, the thing that a lot of people have a lot of trouble with when it comes to how fights are scored by judges. Yeah, it's so hard. With, there's, there's so many aspects in MMA um, that, like, with the 10-point the must system in, in, the, in judging— it's it's so hard because you know one judge can be looking at the the wrestling and the footwork and the other judge can be looking at uh, significant damage and jujitsu like it's just it's so hard to judge and so I I don't know I I feel bad for these guys. I will say neither of those were as controversial as your Leandro Silva fight. I, that's just me. <laughs> oh I know that had nothing to do with the judges though. That was all that ref and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that's a no contest. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that ref do much uh, since since then, coincidentally. I mean, uh, I bet uh, he got a, a strong slap on the hand after that one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, just a part of uh, controversial uh, uh, fights and, uh, and entertaining fights. That's all I uh, care about. Were you and Bobby in Force at the same time? Like, it's been that long that you're, you guys have kind of been aligned. It might be Strike Force, uh, but um, man, I, I I remember watching him on the regional scene uh, when we were both kind of just trying to make it into the UFC. Like we've been around the block uh, for a while, and uh, man, we just been around the the corner from each other this entire career. And uh, man, we've even joked around with each other. It's like, man, why hasn't this happened already? And uh, yeah, both him and I are. One, we're, we're fans of each other, we're friends with each other, and that's what's going to make this fight absolutely exciting is because neither one of us care if we win or lose, right? We're just here to entertain the fans. This must be one of the best dates to fight on because you can probably still enjoy Thanksgiving to an extent, and then you can enjoy Christmas right afterwards. So is that the way you feel? I, I don't know. How close is Thanksgiving to this fight? So maybe, maybe not fully enjoy Thanksgiving, but I'm sure you, you, know, you had a little bit of gravy. Every year, I would like I would love to sacrifice Thanksgiving so I can have a Christmas. Uh, so uh, I'm just so grateful that Bobby accepted the fight when he did. So yeah, I will uh, I will exclude a turkey from my life so that way I can enjoy some Christmas cookies. And this lightweight division, I mean, there's no easy fights in this one, but a win over Bobby Green. Do you believe that puts you back into the rankings? 
Uh, who knows? And who cares, really? I, I feel like the whole number in front of your name is more of like how many followers you have than how talented you are, uh, man. But um, yeah, the only thing that would excite me to get back in the ranking is the opportunity to fight the stars. I want to fight Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, you know, uh, Charles Oliveira. I want to fight these guys. And the only way to do that is you got to have a number in front of your name. But I honestly don't care about the rankings. It is weird, though. You had a ranking when you fought Riddell, and now you've won two fights in a row, and you're not back in there. It's kind of strange. And Conor McGregor still ranked at lightweight. I, I can't make ends meet about it. I, I don't understand it, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Patty Pimblett is ranked 13 by next week. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's all about the fan base and not so much the talent. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the only motivation for me to get in the rankings is just that opportunity to uh, have bigger and better fights. Do you have a dream opponent? Is there somebody, like, if you could fight one guy right now on the lightweight roster, who would it be? I'm, I've been eyeballing that Jalen Turner guy. Uh, he had that smooth victory over Brad Riddell, and he kind of just floated up to rank 10, I believe. I think he's 15. And, uh, right man, is he 15 now? Yeah, yeah I think I he's mean, 15. I mean, like, those rankings change so often, but Jalen Turner would be a fun fight. That Demir is Magulov versus Armand. Got my eyeball on, on those guys. Um, but I mean, even so like Michael Johnson, he's not even in the, the rankings right now, but that would be a fun fight to have. Uh, I just, I think I'm in a point in the career where, yeah, I would love a ranked fight, but I, I wouldn't turn down a Michael Johnson fight for a ranked fight. If somebody put me on the spot and said, have Drew Dober and Michael Johnson fought each other yet? I would probably have said yes. Like, it just seems like that fight would have made a lot of sense to make years ago. I know, and I'm, I'm all for those fights that make sense. I mean, that's why I saw Bobby Green, and I'm like, yep, that's that's the fight we can we possibly, you know, make some magic with. And same thing with Michael Johnson. And the funniest thing is, like, all these guys I'm, I'm huge fans of and, and friends with. And, uh, yeah, honestly, I still feel like when you really enjoy a person, you make a better fight. Well, at UFC 282, every fighter that scored a finish got a bonus. Hopefully the uh, Christmas cheer spreads to this weekend's card because I have a feeling you and Bobby Green are going to put on a show. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you for this, Drew, and uh, look forward to seeing you do your thing on Saturday. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you having me on. Coming off a career best performance, Jake Matthews is back in the cage against Matthew Semmelsberger this Saturday. Do you agree with what I just said? Do you believe that was your career best performance? Oh, absolutely, by far. And um, it's still it's still not 100% of what I'm capable of based off you know what, what I do in training. Um, yeah, we've got a lot more to show. So hopefully each and every fight we can keep adding, you know, bit by bit onto that last performance. And, you know, in doing that, we should be up there with, with the best, of, uh, you know, the best in the world and on our way to a title. Now, I don't know if you read what pundits write about your fights in advance, but I, I saw a lot of people saying Jake's going to have to wrestle if he wants to win this fight against Andre Fialu. Seems like you came in with a chip on your shoulder to show that your striking has really been elevated. I did see all those comments and... I never had any intention of wrestling. In fact, I made it. I made it quite clear that I was going to stand up with him and knock him out, whether people thought that was misdirection or not. Um, like I said, I knew what I was capable of. We made some changes in training that just, you know, took me back to my my earlier days of when I was fighting. Brought that confidence back, and uh, I had no doubt it was either it was either knock him out or get knocked out trying. And um, you know, luckily for me, I, I ended up knocking him out. So this is a, another fight against an action fighter, Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, tell me about him and how he compares to your previous opponent, Andre Fialu. Yeah, Matt, uh, Matt's, Matt's tough. 
I was uh, I was happy to get the match up. Obviously, we were, we were pushing for a ranked fighter, but at the end of the day, it means more to me to stay active and you know keep my keep the keep the momentum going off that last fight than to sit around and wait for a ranked opponent. I've never been one to sit and pick my fights. So yeah, I mean Matt's Matt's tough. Seems to be you know I think he's a bit of an all rounder, uh, well versed fighter. Um, yeah, and he's tough. You know, he's, he'll be happy to push the pace. I think he'll be happy to stand up with me. But at the end of the day, if someone gets clipped, they're going to try and they're going to try and wrestle and take down. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting the fight to go anywhere in the wrestle, on the ground, stand up, and we've, we've trained exactly for that. You're something of an anomaly in terms of UFC fighters. You started at 20 years old in the UFC. Of course, you're 28 now, so eight years in the promotion. You see a guy like this, Raul Rosas Jr. This past weekend, at age 18, doing what he does. How rare is it to find fighters that are this good, this young, someone like yourself when you were 20? And what do you think they need to do in order for him to develop more? And do you, th- do you think that he is somebody who will also have a very long UFC career? Yeah, this is something I get asked a lot, actually. Um, and I, I, was, I was 19 when I had my first UFC fight. Um, so, yeah, it's you do get those exceptions. But looking back, when you're that age, you think you're going to get in the UFC, you're going to be the youngest UFC champion ever. Um, it's, you know, there are exceptions that we had John Jones won the world title when he was 23, 24. So it, it is possible to win the title when you're young, but that's John Jones. Uh, these young guys, what I tell them now is that you have to treat your career like a marathon, not a sprint, especially at that age. Cause we're, we're learning on the job. We're, we're nowhere near our peak. We've, we've probably got, uh, he, you know, if for example, Rosas, he's got over a decade till he reaches his peak age. And it's a lot of trial and error in that time. There's going to be losses. There's going to be wins. Um, and it just, it's just a big learning curve. And what I wanted is I wanted to stay in the sport and get the most out of the sport and still be here when I reach my peak. I feel like it would have been a, a big wasted talent if I had of, you know, try to push the pace too hard when I was younger, you know, get a few losses against these higher ranked guys and then you lose your spot in the UFC. So I think um, the way my career went was was perfect. You know, I, I, I was close about two or three times to breaking the top 15 and ended up dropping the ball and, and losing. But every every one of those losses, I learned something. And uh, and then we went on to do better the next time. And now I feel like we're at the point where we've got everything dialed in. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to next is it seems like every time you get close, you kind of hit a stumble. Uh, of course, now you're entering your prime. So when you have those situations like that Sean Brady fight last year, I, I imagine you learned so much from that experience. I mean, you, you were off for about a year and a half after that particular fight. So in terms of your development, like how much, how I guess important is it to have that time away to reflect on a situation like that? Yeah. I mean, that, well, the, the time away was, yeah, I wanted to stay active. I had four fights, about four fights canceled in that time just because of uh, everything that was going on in the world. But um, I think, uh, I think there's a balance. I don't think you want to rush back into a fight too quick, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be away from the sport for too long. That can also be just as detrimental to have too much time off. But I was active. I was training that entire year that I was away, um, still trying to get fights. So we had fights booked, and then you know for whatever reason they fell through, and um, and yeah. So I think you know the amount of time I was off about a year, it worked well. I had a fight that was cancelled the morning of the fight. I was in Vegas, woke up, and the fight was cancelled. Um, but yeah, I think everything it all happened for a reason. That time away happened for a reason. The fight that was cancelled happened for a reason. It all led to me, you know, learning and progressing in my training, and that led to that last fight against Fioho. You say you don't want to rush back into the the 
cage so soon, but th there is a weird circumstance here where you might have to. It's February, UFC in Perth. I imagine you want to be on that card. Um, so is the goal here to win, you know, get out uninjured and then try to get onto that card? Or are you okay if perhaps you're not on that card? Yeah, I mean, the, the, way, I've, the way I've always approached my career is that uh, this next fight is the last fight and that's it. There's no fight to be on that. Um, you know, if something does eventuate, but it being, being real, it's, it's about a six-week turnover. And I've had my time on the big Aussie cards. I fought when Ronda Rousey was here. I fought when there was 65,000 people in the in in the crowd. Um, you know, I had majority of my fights were in Australia. I've had my time. There's a whole new generation of Aussie fighters in the UFC now. Back when I was in the UFC, there was only a handful of us. Now there's a lot more, and it's it's those guys' time to be in front of the Aussie crowds. You know, fighting at home. Um, I'm at the point in my career now is if, if I want to chase these top ranked guys, I have to go overseas. I have to go to them. I can't just sit at home, try to be comfortable, fight in Australia and expect them to come to me. Um, and the UFC have actually said this. So it's, it's, I'm at that point in my career where I've reached that sort of peak gauge. Uh, I feel like I'm peaking inside the octagon and I have to travel overseas and get on those bigger cards now. So I'm more than happy to go and watch the next generation of Aussie fighters uh, do their thing. How do you think Volkanovski does against uh, Islam Makhachev? That's a super fight, really. I mean, champion versus champion. Both guys, uh, well, I guess uh, Alex is undefeated in the UFC, Islam with one loss, but both guys are on an absolute roll right now. Yeah, this is a, it's such a hard fight to, to pick. Obviously, Alex being an Aussie, you always want to see the Aussies win. Um, but it's such a, a hard fight for both guys. It just depends on, it depends on the fight itself and what sort of game plan they come out with. Will Alex's speed be too much for Islam? Will Islam's wrestling be too much for Alex? Who knows? It's honestly one of those ones I'm just going to sit on the fence and just sit back and enjoy it and watch. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it is always good to see the Aussies win. We want to keep the belt in Australia. So I will back Alex. But when it comes down to the technical aspects of the fight, I have no idea. I'm at an absolute loss. It's the last card of the year. And I know that the trip back to Australia is quite long. What day do you get back? I mean, the fight is on, what, the uh, 17th? Uh, I imagine you leave on the 18th. Do you get back on, like, the 20th? Like, I'm, I'm trying to do the math here of, of what it will be when you get back to Australia. Uh, to celebrate Christmas with your family, it's uh, it's the twentieth. I was me, me and my cornerman were trying to we're trying to push it and get a and get two or three days in Texas, but the uh, the wives back home said no, it's too close to Christmas, so we'll have to do Texas next time. But um, yeah, we go home on the twentieth. What do you want to do in so Texas? We, uh, we fight pretty much straight. Uh, there's a lot of Aussie guys there, a lot of Hollywood Jiu-Jitsu guys. Um, so there's just familiar faces there that we know. Obviously, it's good fun barbecue, guns, hanging out. So uh, it's a place I've always wanted to go, but maybe next time we'll get there. But um, yeah, pretty much get home on the 20th and then try to get some Christmas shopping done those last few days and then and then enjoy the holidays with the family. You could have just come up to uh, Canada and enjoyed a white Christmas with us up here in, in the snow. I love Canada. I love Canada. I was there for the ultimate fighter in the, in the height of winter. And um, yeah, I absolutely love it there. I'd love to get back. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you shared uh, a house with uh, Elias Theodoru on that show. Uh, do you have any interesting memories about Elias? Of course, he unfortunately tragically passed uh, as a result of cancer this year. And he was uh, just a super guy that anybody that I've spoken to who has had any extended time with him always have a great story to share about him. Yeah, exactly what you said. It was just nothing, nothing in particular. It was, probably, it was probably a whole heap of funny stories we have. But it was just... Um... He just fit in Aussies really well. Like Aussies, we're, we're a very 
you know, a welcoming, friendly people. And all the Canadians were, but especially Elias. He was, uh, it was almost like there were no teams. There, were, there wasn't a Canadian Australian team. He was, he was happy to, to help out and talk to anyone. He was just full of energy. Um, it was good to be around, especially like, you know, leading into a fight week. He fought in Melbourne, uh, as the uh, same car that I fought in. And, um, yeah, just, just, Seeing him and the way he reacts around fight week, it sort of lifts your spirits up. It's it just makes you think, um, you know, it's, it's not all doom and gloom in fight week, cutting weight. He just had this personality about him, and it rubbed off and everyone else. So yeah, was, I was very sad to hear about that, and I was, I was yeah, it was almost hard to believe that uh, that ha- that happened. It's still hard to believe. Uh, you know, it's very very shocking, and um, so you know, we've had a couple tragic losses in mixed martial arts this year, uh, including him, Anthony Johnson. It's you know, it's always tough to uh, to yeah. digest when it comes to younger in great shape people that pass away yeah it puts everything into perspective absolutely well i uh, want to wish you all the best this weekend it's yourself matthew semmelsberger uh, thank you for doing this and look forward to speaking to you again soon happy new year um, and merry christmas enjoy your time out in australia when you get back thanks man it's my pleasure appreciate it deron win is back in action this weekend taking on julian marquez and you're a very interesting fighter, Jerron. I'm sure many people have told you this, of course, before. At five foot six, 185 pounds, have you always kind of had a chip on your shoulder? I, you know, having to go through wrestling and, and of course, mixed martial arts as somebody who is a lot shorter than the people that you're competing with. I imagine that you've had to, you know, had to make a lot of adjustments. Yeah, um, you know, I have. I, I've been I've been wrestling big guys since I was a kid. I mean, since I was eight years old. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it uh. I wouldn't say it's a chip. I, it kind of a chip, I guess you would say. You know, kind of always got something to prove to people because always, you know, people always want to downplay me because I'm short. But I don't know. It's like I've been dealing with that for so long that it doesn't necessarily affect me anymore. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I'm more than a chip. I definitely wanted to always prove people wrong. Do you feel like it puts you at something of a disadvantage in a lot of these mixed martial arts fights? Because the reach is just, I mean, so astronomical in some of these cases. Um, yeah, it could, but, uh, you know, I, I'm still, you know, trying to evolve as a, as a full mixed martial artist. And so, um, you know, I, I've, I've worked on a lot of my game to, uh, to be able to, you know, close distance safer and, and, you know, when, when to fight in my range and when not to fight in my range and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously when, uh, when we're on the ground, um, the height it doesn't play such a such an advantage so you know that's also something uh that i I, i'm i'm trying to take more advantage of too and on the flip side i think it makes people uh makes it difficult for people to train for you because they're used to facing guys that are six foot one six foot two uh it's hard to find somebody that's you know of your size that you can bring in as a training partner yeah for sure so do you think that that makes it difficult for opponents to game plan for you um yeah for sure i i think that i'm one of a kind um, you know, and, and even like I tra- I've trained with, at a lot of big gyms or trained with a lot of really, you know, successful fighters and literally everybody that I train with is always like, dang, you're much bigger than I like uh, initially intended you in being, you know, and I'm just as strong as everybody. I'm, you know, just as fast, if not faster than the majority of the guys. Um, so, uh, I, I think that because of my size and height, then it's, uh, it's harder for guys to train for me, but. Um, who knows? I often see people say, you know, Duran should move down to 170 pounds, but I imagine that's not possible, right? Like, I mean, you used no, to fight at 205. Yeah, it's really not. I, uh, 
you know, I've been cutting weights since I was a kid, since I was eight years old. And uh, it's, you know, I'll be honest, it's not like my favorite thing. So, um, but, you know, I also walk around like 225 pounds um, easy. So, like I said, in that, in that sense, I'm an anomaly. Like, I'm one of a kind. Like, I will be 225 pounds and people will be like, how much you weigh right now? Like, 210? I'm like, yeah, I wish. So, um, you know, I just carry it heavy. I have, I have a very, very dense body as well. So, um, I, I, I don't see 170 in my near future. How did you get into wrestling to begin with? Just like, you know, growing up? Uh, my uncles. My uncles wrestled. And uh, so they convinced my mom to uh, put me and my brother in. And I actually, like, my older brother started wrestling. Excuse me, sorry. My older brother started wrestling. And I used to just go and, like, hang out on the side and, like, kind of wrestle around with, like, the younger, you know, kids and, you know, maybe brothers or the other kids there. And then they kind of, like, I, I was a natural, so... Once I started like wrestling around a little bit, then I started actually coming to practice to, uh, to to get better, you know. And of course, people talk about your relationship with Daniel Cormier. How did the guy, the two of you, get to know each other? Um, throughout wrestling, uh, he, uh, you know, he was always kind of like an idol of mine throughout wrestling, and I actually like emulated him a lot. And then I was actually he went to Oklahoma State, and I was recruited very heavily to Oklahoma State, and so we became uh, in contact then, and then. Um, you know, years later, we, you know, reignited and I came out to AKA to wrestle with them a little bit when I was wrestling full time, like senior level, trying to make an Olympic team. And while I was there, they, uh, they put like, you know, gloves on me and, and let me spar on the days we weren't wrestling. And so I get, and you know, I, I was always like a natural, like street fighter. And so after, uh, after I sparred a little bit, Bob, Bob Cook. Uh, pulled DC to the side. I was like, who is this kid? We got to sign him. And then they convinced me to uh, fight, and here I am. And you just, I imagine, you know, loved it off the bat. I mean, if they thought you were a natural, I imagine that you probably uh, felt felt that way too when you were doing it. Yeah, I, obviously I did. You know, I've always, I've always, you know, labeled myself as a tough guy, as a fighter and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't hard for me to make the decision, but you know, now it's like, shit, I mean, you know, this sport has evolved so much that, you know, wrestling is still the greatest, you know, you know, um, base for this sport. But it's also, man, I mean, now it's like, everybody knows how to defend wrestling. Everybody knows how to do this. Everybody knows how to wrestle. You know, it's like, it's such a tougher sport than when I, when I originally signed up for. So, um, um, yeah, it's it, there's definitely been more chinks, you know, in the in the road than I originally um, thought would be. And you've become very involved with youth wrestling. Why has that been so important to you? Um, I love it, man. I love the kids. I love being around the kids. I uh, wrestling is a sport that provided me with endless opportunities. And I've said it over and over again um, in interviews, and I and I, I say it I say it very proudly. It's like wrestling saved my life over and over and over again and without wrestling you know it, it sounds you know cliche but it's like without wrestling you know who knows i could be dead in jail stuff like that but it's always it's always kept me on the right track so um i, I kind of want to give that back to uh to the next community in wrestling and you know no matter what i do no matter what fight i win no matter you know how much praise i get um in the mma world nothing fulfills me more than you know, watching or helping these kids achieve their goals. Nothing. I've always thought that it would be smart for law enforcement 
and um, you know probation officers to encourage people to go into either wrestling or martial arts or something along those lines to build yeah. kind of a routine for people. Um, and I'm yeah, surprised it, create, that that hasn't it creates happened. good discipline. It, it creates good discipline and accountability. Um, that's one thing I I stress to my parents that you know the kids I coach is is like. Even if your kid isn't the best wrestler, I promise you when he's done wrestling, he's a better, he'll be a better person. Or she. And when you say that wrestling saved your life, were you going down a bad path or, or something along those lines? Um, no, I've always kind of been a shithead, though. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I was blessed enough, you know, growing up without a father uh, in my life. Um, I had one, but he just wasn't really in my life. But, um, you know, I had a lot of uh, um, positive role models, positive male role models in my life. And, um, you know, it kind of gave me that structure to be successful. So um, I wouldn't say I was like, I've ever been like going down the wrong path that bad, but uh, I've always been a shithead in my day for sure. And uh, I believe you tweeted about your dad that he he passed away um, and he was he was homeless. Uh, so tell me uh -huh. a little about him and what you knew about him. Um, we actually uh, would see each other quite often when I was younger, probably in my you know ten and under. And you know some things happened uh, where. You know, he just kind of wasn't being honest with my mother, I guess. And then uh, my mom kind of, you know, separated us because she thought it was what's best for me. And um, and then, you know, I, I saw him again a few years later, probably when I was in seventh grade. And then I hadn't seen him forever. And then crazy, crazy story, man. I guess I'll tell it. Um, I had just won state my sophomore year of wrestling. Um, and that's when I started becoming like kind of the man. Um, you know, I was, I was, a I was a extreme standout blue chip, uh, recruit in high school. Um, and I had a cousin that wrestled across the state and I remember, I actually remember I was watching a UFC fight, who knows, Chuck Liddell, something at my house. We had a very small house. My mom, but mom let me have people over to celebrate my state title and watch the UFC fights. And then, uh, what happened? We, um, so I, we got a phone call. And my mom was like, hey, they're on the phone for you. And so um, I went in the back into her room and then she was like, it's your dad. And like, I hadn't heard from him in at least five, six, seven years at this time. So I'm like, okay. But at, at 15, I'm old enough to understand, you know, he, he hasn't really wanted to be a part of my life and, you know, whatnot. And so we got in a conversation about, um, you know, he's like, it was almost like out of a movie. He was like, I'm so proud of you, son. Um, I heard you on state. Da, da, da. That's my boy. You know, kind of like literally like it's almost like a movie script. Um, and, you know, and I started kind of giving him attitude. And he was like, you know, son, life throws you a lot of curveballs. Um, are you are you like still are you mad at me? And I was like, yeah, I'm mad at you. And he was like, are you going to stay mad at me? And I was like, I'm I'm going to stay mad at you until you can prove to me that you want to be my father. And Aaron, then he hung up on me, and I never spoke to him again in my life. He hung up after I said that. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, oh, all right, well, bye. He just hung the phone up. That's and crazy. then I never spoke to him again uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, he was he struggled with, you know, alcoholism. And, and, you know, he started developing diabetes at a late age. And I know he was homeless for a while. And I think he had just got up off out of the – off the streets whenever uh he passed and how did you find out that he passed uh my grandma his mother uh called me and uh well a bunch of people from that side of the family called me 
and then uh and then i you know i actually it actually helped me reignite my relationship with my grandma on, on his side she was nothing but a sweet woman and she's always been sweet to me and she's always taking care of his kids and stuff like that and then actually sadly she just passed uh also about a few months ago i'm sorry to hear that um, yeah so it's been you know a, a little bit of turbulence in your life and i know i think you're you also wrote that your brother was having some struggles how is he doing is he doing better yeah uh yeah yeah he's uh he's just i don't know i don't know what to do with this dude man but yeah he's still struggling for sure and you do you do um, your yeah, best, man. I guess, right? But addictions—it's like it's a difficult thing to to. Well, well, you know, it's with. like when I first started to try to help him, I was like, I got it, I got it, I can do this, I can help him, I can help him. No, you know, just because nobody else could do it, I can do this shit. And everyone was like, "Duran, he he won't seek the help he needs until he absolutely wants to." And uh, I didn't understand it until I got you know basically hit in the face with it, and um, now it's like I kind of just you know I'm always still here to help, but if. Uh, he won't. It, it. I believe more than ever that you you won't want to get better until uh, you want to get better yourself, no matter what anybody's trying to offer you. A lot of the time, it's a wake up call. I mean, look at Jared Gordon. I'm. I was mm -hmm. reading. You know, you tweeted that your dad passed away on Christmas Eve. Jared Gordon's last overdose was on Christmas Eve, like seven years ago. And, Crazy. Uh, yeah, I love Jared Gordon, yeah. man. He's a good dude, bro. I really. Uh, I don't know him, but I uh, I really really like what he what he stands for and what he's done, and uh, he's the man. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's a very difficult road to navigate, and I th I'm sure that you know by by working with youth wrestling, you're helping a lot of kids stay out of these kind of situations, and I think it's really yeah, of course. That, that's you. part of you know that's something me in DC talk about, especially when we, when we have a kid struggling, and it's like you know we we have to accept the fact that you can't save them all, but you have to um, kind of um see the good of 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 kind of helping the ones that you can and what's it like for you when you come back after a fight and you are with all of these these kids that you mentor and coach what do they say to you do they understand the gravity um, of what mixed martial arts is like i i think they do you know um especially in, in california you know it's like it's just such a different atmosphere of you know kids getting in jujitsu at a young age he's getting in muay thai you know i got kids who have done jujitsu and Muay Thai for years um, that are on my wrestling team. And they're also like national caliber wrestlers. Um, so it's like, they're almost like the new breed of kids. And I'm sure there will be some kids on my team um, that in the future will fight in the UFC. I guarantee it actually. Um, but, uh, but no, they get it. They love it. They respect it. They, they, you know, one, they motivate me and two, they, they, um, they show my, they show their love for me. Like whenever it's all said and done, even if I win or lose, they all show their love for me. So, like I said, that's that's what fulfills. Like you know, even after my last last loss, tough loss, uh, you know, I had nothing but love from that from my community that and my wrestling community. So that that makes it all worth it. And what's the age range of these kids? Um, anywhere from four to eighteen, nineteen. Okay, so it's a it's a very big range. Yeah. So DC opened up his academy a little over a year ago in a Gilroy. And so we have literally from baby Hawks class, four years old, like, yeah, I mean, three really isn't realistic, but really four. And then all the way to seniors in high school. I don't know how DC business, like juggles the schedule. Like I, I know it's he's got an assistant, man. but he's like, yeah, <laughs> he just seems it's to have hard. so much going on all the time. He has so much going on, bro. It's hard. He seems to always have a smile on his face. I mean, he looks stressed out sometimes, but he seems to, have, you know, <laughs> go through yeah, the day with yeah. a smile. He's crazy. Sometimes, some days I just don't understand how he gets, how he does it. Like, it stresses me out. Like, 
all the parents because even like in, in the wrestling world man people are crazy bro the parents are crazy the kids are crazy so it's like you have to deal with so much shit like with the wrestling in the wrestling world and then especially with dc he has so much more in his professional world to deal with it's uh it's it's kind of crazy to see how he juggles it now, i don't know how close you are with kane velasquez but i was wondering if you had a chance to visit him or anything along those lines now that he's back at home um i haven't i've kind of given him his space i'm i'm cool with kane you know he actually uh he cornered me in my first UFC fight. Uh, we, uh, you know, he sold me a car. Um, uh, we spent a lot of time around each other. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've kind of like just given this time to, to you know, you know I'll let him have space and, and be with his family and, and whatnot. And I'm sure here in the near future, I'll reach out and, and see if I can maybe come by and see him. I know DC's stopped by and see him, but their relationship is much different than him, him and mine. Yeah, well, it's great to see that he's back at home with his family. Uh, oh, it's, it's amazing. A, a terrible situation overall. Terrible situation. It's amazing, too, to see uh, to see that they allowed him to uh, go do that wrestling, that Lucha Libre uh, in Arizona, like, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, I was happy to see that as well. I'm happy to see that, uh, you know, he's not in jail. <laughs> and really, that's what no, it comes down sure. to. He's got his freedom for at least uh, a while until his trial gets started, because right now the judicial system is very backed up, and it would be terrible for him to have to sit in a cell, especially oh, yeah. given the circumstances of what happened. For sure. For sure, man. Look, look, we got a new judge. He got a new judge on the case yeah, when the trial started. That's definitely good news. Uh, and uh, I'm happy happy for him and happy for you in your career. It's been great watching you do your thing in the UFC. Um, Thanks, best of luck this Saturday. Yourself, Julian Marquez, should be a fun fight. And uh, look forward yeah. to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one, man. See ya. Happy to be joined by Julian Marquez, who is taking on Deron Wynn. This Saturday at UFC Fight Night. Now, I know there's a lot going on with uh, your Camp Glory MMA and Fitness. We, we, you know, I know you don't really want to talk about that. You want to talk about, of course, the upcoming fight. So we'll focus on that for this interview. You're in Las Vegas now. You, you used to live in Las Vegas. So tell me about these last couple of weeks and uh, what they've been like in terms of preparing for this fight. You know, everything's been good. I started this uh, fight camp 17 weeks out. And with my team back home, we, we grinded day in and day out. We built the tools. We built on for my arsenal. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks I've been out here in Las Vegas. Luckily, I had help with like Tom Lawler, AJ Williams, Brandon Moreno and his coaches came up to help me out. Um, his high coach, Hoya. And I mean, it's been a, a phenomenal camp and it's been a phenomenal time out here in Las Vegas. The weather is 100 times better than being in the cold Missouri weather. I will give you that. Well, they call it misery for a reason, right? Yeah, but it's not misery. It's amazing. Whenever it's not cold, that's the real It's yeah, just this time of year that they call it misery. I mean, I'm in Toronto, so believe me, I, I can relate. Now, you mentioned uh, Filthy Tom Lawler. I imagine getting the two of you guys in the room together is a lot of fun, but also important to note that he fought Duran uh, back in the day. So how helpful has he been uh, for this particular camp? Man, Duran and Tom fought a long time ago, and Duran has progressed since that time. Um, but having Tom in there to help me out, it, it really just shows like, how much he's always been a part of my career and how much he's always cared. And, uh, you know, just little subtle things that he tells me that he remembers and going off of there. And it, it helps out a lot knowing that he had someone close to the same height as me fighting the same guy. And uh, it's, it's been pretty good. And it's such a great time to be around Tom. You'd be happy that I'm next to in and out right now. <laughs> yeah, they're getting a little bit of free publicity. Not that you can get it here in Toronto. I mean, if you could, it would be a great thing. Uh, now, in terms of Duran. 
this is not the type of opponent that most people are used to training for. He's five foot five. Uh, I'm sure that the shortest opponent that you fought probably as a middleweight or light heavyweight is what five ten maybe. Um, so how do you get good training for somebody that that's built like this? Because Duran is kind of an anomaly in this sport. And I, I've been in this game for quite a long time. I've had a lot of fights and I've trained with a lot of different people. Um, I've actually trained with people around his height. We have some pe- we have some students back home that are close to his height, uh, maybe an inch taller or maybe an inch shorter. And I was able to train with them, you know, do some flow rounds, some live rounds with them, you know, and to match his wrestling, you know, everyone's good at wrestling in the mixed martial arts world. You know, this isn't a wrestling match where we're starting on a, you know, green and red. We're in an MMA octagon to where you could throw punches. So I don't feel like it's going to be anything different. And it wasn't very hard to train for him uh, in that aspect. Now, in your last fight, you suffered your first career knockout loss um, against Gregory Rodriguez. Uh, what did you learn for that particular loss? Because in your previous two losses, they were both by decision. Uh, it, this is, of course, the first time you've lost in such a manner. Yeah, no, for sure. That one sucks, for sure. Um, you know, I, I went in that fight camp, and I wasn't very uh, – I wouldn't say I, I didn't give myself a chance with him. You know, I, I do feel like I can beat him. I do feel like I can compete better with him. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that happened in that fight that, you know, I can't go back and look. But, you know, I do understand that that was just an event. That's what it was on the day, like – you're in this game for as long as I have been, you're bound to get caught. You know, you're bound to get, you know, knocked out. You're bound to get submitted. You're bound to get all sorts of things, you know, especially if you're trying to progress and move up. And it is what it is. Like there's no, there's no changing it and there's no doing none of that, but it doesn't depreciate my value. It doesn't make me feel less of a person. It just means that day was Gregory's and hats off to him. You know, he's doing phenomenal out there to this day, which is great. But I'll catch up. I'll get that match back up. I want to take one little thing you said there and, and ask you a little bit more about it. You said you didn't give yourself a chance in that fight. So is that one of those ones where you went into it and just mentally that day you weren't there? You weren't feeling it? No, nah, you know, that camp, I wasn't, I wasn't mentally right. And then on top of it, in that fight, in that fight moments before that fight, I remember looking at my coach and I was like, Joe, I don't know what to do. Like I, I like literally went mind blank and I have no idea. And mentally I wasn't strong. And through this camp, I've been working with two mental coaches, um, you know, a hypnotist as well as uh, a mental coach as well. And they both are for my fighting and it's put my, my mental to a more extreme and more focused level. You know, I've been working with a lot of things like Mendy. It's an app that I can focus more and, see what I want and visualize what I want and have a right mindset when it comes to it. Now, I've heard a lot about mental coaches, but hypnotists, this is a new one for me. So what, what kind of hypnosis did you undergo uh, in order to strengthen your mental game for this fight? Well, I work with uh, uh, or Dom, the hypnotist, and, you know, we did a lot of deal. We did a lot of various types of hypnosis. And what it is, is kind of removing certain doubts that you would have or certain thoughts that you would have and not really removing it, but removing the um, reaction that you typically would have with that thought. So right now, like every night I go to bed, I have an eight hour, I have an eight hour um, hypnosis sound that I listen to where it repeats over and over for my subconscious to um, really sink into my mind. And it just repeats the same things over and over the same, you know, 
sayings, the same you know phrases, same words. So as I go to sleep, I can hear this, and subconsciously, when I wake up in the morning, it just makes me feel better, it makes me feel stronger, it makes me feel more focused and more driven, and uh, it's been phenomenal. Like I love working with him. I didn't work with him in my last fight, and I've worked with him all the fights before, which is just says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the kind of fight where you, you want to get that momentum back. Now, I mentioned off the top, there's some issues, of course, going on with your gym. So I'm wondering who's cornering you this weekend. I have Vince Cousy, Tyler Minton, and Jason High all have been in my corner previously. And they all, my ride or die, they're my family. Yeah, Jason's uh, been one of the, the pioneers, really, of, of uh, you know, mixed martial arts in Missouri for a long time. So uh, he's obviously a, a great resource for you. Um, and I want to ask you about Jeff Molina. I saw he had to pull out of his fight in January. Um, did, did he get injured or something along those lines? I actually, I actually left prior to knowing when Jeff had to pull out. So I haven't spoken with him too much. He just, I know there's things that he's not feeling too good. I think he might be injured. Um, but again, I, I can't speak on it. I haven't really been able to talk to him. Um, I just kind of been focusing on my fight and focusing on the path that I'm going for. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of things going on with family and stuff, so it could be tough on him right there. So we're just focusing on that. And then hopefully when I get back in town, I can see him and talk to him. Yeah, I love Jeff's a great kid, so I'm hoping that uh, everything's okay with him. Uh, I should probably reach out to him and just see how he's doing because uh, I know he's not the type of guy that pulls out of a fight for uh, <laughs> anything less than a, a phenomenal, you know, a big reason. Oh, absolutely. Again, it could be family members. It could be that. As well as like the same thing with, you know, David Onamba had to pull out of his fight because his opponent was there. And, you know, those people right there, those are two hard workers in the room that are always driving and they don't they don't ever back down on anything. So if something happens, you know, it's probably because of family is one thing that's close to them. Now, did you attend the pay-per-view this weekend, UFC 282, since you've been in Vegas? I did. I did attend the pay-per-view. It was actually it was great. But it was much needed. I haven't watched a single fight for 17 weeks. So I was able to actually finally watch fights. And it was a great card to be at. You're always on top of the game. So 17 weeks without watching a fight. What was the reason for that? I just wanted to focus on Duran. I wanted to focus all, all on this. I wanted to remove myself from what I love and get that drive, get that energy back. You know, a lot of things too, man, like, I watch the fights every weekend and there's like 40 something cards a year. So that's eight hours of my day that I'm spending on Saturday, focusing on the fights. I'll be with my family watching the, watching the fights. I'll be, you know, by myself while events are happening, watching the fights. And I was just always so surrounded by it to where I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend this camp with family. I'm going to spend this camp doing things outside that I'm not typically normally doing uh, because I'm spending Saturdays watching the fights and then after I'm done with, you know, my fight this week, I'll start watching all the fights that I missed and have even more of a, a, a benefit of watching all them because I'll still have those eight hour days on Saturday. But throughout the week, I'll be able to rewatch some old fights and some highlight reels. It's a bit of a different experience watching it from the arena, though, right? I mean, I'm sure that when you're at home, you feel like there's other stuff you could be doing. But when you're at the arena, it feels like you're just at a live event. It's probably a bit different for you mentally. Absolutely. I mean, I'm telling you this, you got the smell, you got the feel, you got the, the lights, you have the energy. It's, it's such an amazing experience being at a fight. If you've never been to a fight, you have to go because the crowd really like 
pushes the fights even more and brings up the intensity all around. And you can see the fighters act and react in the octagon uh, with a very intense crowd. It's, it's something I, I really love. And then on top of that, I have friends that fought this weekend or acquaintances, people that I care about and I want to see do well. And when I watched them get their hands raised, it like motivated me even more, especially like TJ Brown, when he got that victory, that submission victory, it motivated me even more because, you know, we've both been through the trenches together. We're both going through the grind together and, you know, he's out there pushing and doing what he's doing and it, it motivates me. So now it's like, yeah, I'm stoked for this weekend. All right, so I got to find this out from you because I was in the building, but I was in the back. I always watch it on a TV in the back, so I don't really get the vibe of what's going on in the arena. Patty versus Gordon, watching it from the crowd. Who did you think won that fight? In all honesty, like it was a very, very difficult fight to to judge, man. Like I, I thought the first round, I, honestly, I thought the first round went to Gordon. The second round, I kind of had it Patty, and then the third round, I. I really didn't know. Like I kept looking at Gordon, but like, it was just like, uh, to me, like I felt like Patty was still, even though he was being pressed up against the cage, he was still like throwing knees and elbows and going for attempts where Gordon was just trying to hold on. And then on top of that, Patty ended up switching, reversing the, the round or reversing the, the position and getting on top and throwing out some punches to end the uh, third round. And to me, like, if Gordon were to throw some punches, I think he would have gotten it. Yeah, he had the control time against the cage, things like that. But I feel like Patty was going effectively of trying to finish the fight. Again, from my angle that I had, I was all the way where the fighters walk out at. So, like, my angle wasn't the best. And I wasn't really watching the screen. I thought Patty won the second and maybe won the third for an argument. But when they did 30-27 all the way across the board, I was like, ooh, that's not good. Oh, it was 29-28 across the board for all three. Oh, 20, two, 20, two judges so, gave Patty the first round, which is kind of where the controversy comes from. Yeah, so I had I thought Patty was winning the second round. I thought he did better in the second round. The first round, I thought he did rough. Yeah, see, this is why I like talking to you, because I know your dad is a judge. You view things through the eyes of the criteria. No bias. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate your time, and I appreciate getting to speak with you. So thank you very much for this and uh, best of luck against Duran Wynn this weekend. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today. You have a good one. I'm happy to be joined by Sonny Serene. I don't know how he has time to speak with me. Three fights in, what is it, 15 days in Canada, which is a pretty unbelievable amount of regional cards to put on in, in one span of time like that. It is, man. It's the first time it's ever been done. It's the direction that we've wanted to try and We'll see how it works out on uh, on Saturday. So you started this promotion, I think, back in t 2009 with Tim Haig, the late Tim Haig, unfortunately, uh, who was a friend of yours. And um, you started out in Edmonton. And here you are now exploring other territories of Canada. How big do you expect Unified to be in the coming years? Uh, just we're going to continue doing what we're doing. I, I do see us as a national brand, as that brand that sends guys off to the the biggest promotions in the world and that's the direction that we want to take and putting on the highest level of combat sports in the country and that's what we're doing right now and i can see just continuing that and we that's just the same thing that we want to do and that's what we see happening in the next few years and you're expanding more into the east coast of canada now of course with ontario we haven't really seen a lot of promotions in canada that have been willing to i guess do events on the west and east coast what made you decide to bring unified into ontario 
what we're doing, obviously we've been doing focused in Alberta and we're bringing a lot of guys from out east onto our fight cards. We had Zach Powell and there was so much talent in Ontario that we didn't see really competing, whether it was Scott Hudson or just a lot of the guys on the event. And Shane Campbell's headlined quite a few shows for us and his home ground is Ontario. So you want to know we're like, we see it as a, as a great market for us. We're going to keep the direction, the keep doing what we're doing and putting on solid cards and solid production. And I think we think if we make that footprint in Ontario, people are really going to enjoy the shows over there. And you brought Robert Vivers in, who is uh, mostly known as the matchmaker for, for uh, BTC uh, and has done a phenomenal job there. He's now your full-time matchmaker. Tell me about the addition of Robert and what that's going to bring to the table. Knowledge, for sure. He's experienced. Matchmaking is not something you can take a course on. You need relationships. You need to develop these types of things that you know what fighters want, what managers want. He's able to communicate uh, exactly the direction that he that he wants these fight cards to go to, my, to me and to the team. And... We think it, it makes sense and the fight cards he's putting together obviously since he's joined us in the spring this year the fight cards have only gotten better and better so what we brought him on for he's doing exactly that and what's the roadmap look like for 2023 if you were to map out the year right now hypothetically what would it look like alberta as our home ground for sure we're here we want to st- go into different markets in ontario if we did do something else other than those two provinces it would probably be bc or manitoba there we need to make sure that there's there's fighters in that in that in that area and making sure they're able to compete um we see a lot of growth in ontario with almost 15 million people in one province i think the the sky's the limit there for what we can able to provide for for fight cars and and how we can produce events and bringing these guys uh uh into the cage at unified and seeing what they can do and the calgary card is now behind us we of course have the toronto card this Friday, and then the Edmonton card on Saturday. What made you decide to do something so ambitious like this, especially with the regional scene in Canada being what it has been the last couple of years, kind of dried up with the the pandemic? We weren't going to do Edmonton initially. We're just going to do Calgary and Toronto. And then we had a few guys in Edmonton. They're like, well, we want to compete in December. And one of the things is if if you're putting on shows regularly and you have a lot of guys sign like we do, we can't just put on fight cards as we want because a lot of these promotions are signing these guys to multiply contracts and they're doing four shows or three shows a year and they're sitting on the sidelines only able to compete one. So one of the things that we do as a promotion, man, if, if you're signing fighters to multi-fight deals into a year-long deal, you you have to make sure you can provide them the opportunity to fight. So December 17th happened because we needed to get some guys some fights and that's why we did it. And uh, we're happy because there's a lot of old school unified guys, a lot of newer guys. we got Tim Smith on there. we got Grant Park. we got Aaron Boziak. Uh, we got some of the new up-and-comers, Harley King, Devin Lozias, Shannon Clark, Joe, we're bringing in from Montreal. So it's a lot of future talent that you're going to see in the Canadian scene. And I think uh, we're happy how we put it together. We weren't expecting like this mega, mega card for that. But overall, it, uh, it ended up being something great. And walk, walk me through your day, Friday and Saturday. How, how do you work that logistically, even on your own end? Uh, well, I jump on. I'm heading to Toronto tomorrow. We get planned and ready with the venue. We're planning for their weigh-ins on Thursday. Once we complete that, we make sure everything is a go. We hit up the event on Friday. Everything should be done by midnight or something like that. We kind of confirm, fix everything up. I jump on a plane at 6 a.m. I'm back in Edmonton on Saturday, and we, and we get that final event of the year done. And we're just and then we look back at what we were able to do this year. And there was uh, December was an ambitious month, but it's something that is turning out great. Um, we're getting a ton of great feedback from our audience and, and just everybody that's involved in the sport. And, and that's why we did it, man. We just wanted to get people excited about Canadian combat sports. And a lot of people are saying, 
Canadian MMA is dead or it was dying. And I can understand that when you got some of the biggest promotions in the country that, like, that are not doing shows anymore, like the Maximum Fighting Championships or the, the TKOs. And we wanted to just take that that kind of throne and just jump on and do what they were doing because they were putting on good shows with good production. And, and that's just the direction we wanted to do. What was it like for you during the pandemic? Very, very difficult to put on events. Was that more of a time where you could take a step back and reflect and say, here's where we want to go with this when it, you know, when it's permitted? No, when the pandemic happened, I was just like everybody else. I was like, it's another month or it's another two months. Obviously, when you're six months or a year deep, you're like, when is this thing going to end? I just want to see some sports and uh, just anything. Only like the biggest leagues in the world are putting producing shows and the UFC was one of them. We just couldn't wait to get back. We Right when the restrictions were kind of lifted, we directed, we're like, let's put a fight card together. We sold out that event in a week. Obviously, a lot of promotions in the country were going to do that because everybody was just locked up in their houses after a year. But I honestly think over the next 12 months, you're going to kind of see leaning back into that position where the people that do this full time, those are the promotions that are going to run. But yeah, man, the, the pandemic for me was, was troubling like anybody in the events business. It, it was quiet and we're just excited that it's done. And is there anything booked beyond these events for 2023? Anything that's locked up that we should know about going forward? Something I never thought I'd say, I can, I can let you know, Unified 50 is March 3rd uh, in our home ground at the River Creek Casino. We're going to do a mega card. We're going to put on the Stephen Beaumont, KB Boulder, Chris Larson. Uh, we might bring our heavyweight champion, Jamal Jones. We've got a lot of names to put on that card. It's going to be a mega card. And then in March, we're planning Calgary again. And then the spring, we're coming back to Toronto, whether we go to Toronto or Ottawa or somewhere else in, in Ontario. Just keep growing our foot ground and keep signing fighters and keep putting on quality fight cards. And, and that's the plan for the first quarter. Uh, but we're excited for Unified 50, man, because not a lot of promotions are able to say that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're going to pick up steam, get to that century mark before you know it, especially if you're going to be doing the amount of events that you're, you know, you've got going on over the last couple of days. I mean, you're talking about three and 15 days. I don't think you're going to go on that kind of a clip in 2023 consistently, but maybe we'll continue to see this kind of thing where you're, you're going across the country over the course of several weeks. If I could go back, I'd probably do it all over again because it was something you have to experience. But now that I've experienced it once, three, two shows in, in one weekend and three shows in 15 days, while we can do it, it's a tremendous amount of pressure. And you're only as strong as your team is. And we have an incredible team at Unified, whether it's our matchmakers or our business representatives or anything, just everything that we do to pr produce these shows. And it was a lot of work and uh, we were able to do it. But I think next time for sure, we're going to try to stagger them out as much as we can. We, with this one, we needed to get the fight card in before the end of the year. And we didn't want to mess around with some, doing something even closer to Christmas or between Christmas and New Year. So the, the, the casino had this date opened. And uh, I talked to Rob and I'm like, can we do this? Can we put a fight card together? Uh, like, there's so many things that go into a fight card. And he's like, yeah, I think we can do it. So we'll find out on Saturday, man. Well, we're looking forward to it. Friday, the card in Mississauga. We have not had a lot of regional MMA, if any, really, in Ontario since 2020. So it's a, a fresh breath of air to see Unified come in, especially with a card as stacked as this one. You have Shane Campbell against Darren Smith Jr. in the main event. Uh, two guys that are UFC caliber, in my opinion, um, going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Not to mention a lot of the best regional talent that you can find right now. Niagara Top Team has been a real breeding ground for some top talent uh, coming out of Ontario. And a lot of their fighters are going to be on this card as well. It's Niagara Top Team, man. Like, I remember hearing about it. They ranked it the number one gym a year or two ago in Canada. I think I forgot what website did it. but I was And I, and I started taking a look at it. And, and Prickett over there, he's producing some killers. Uh, on the international stage and, and he's got a great base with these guys are striking they got great wrestling and, and it, we're, the country's lucky to have a place like that to produce these fighters 
for Ontario, for us, man, they were a big help. We got Tisha out of the gym. We got Vlad. We got a lot of good fighters out of the gym. But, man, yeah, just like I said, Shane Campbell, who's probably the pound-for-pound king uh, outside the UFC for Canada that's not signed to the UFC. Like, he's beaten the who's who. He's competed against the who's who. And uh, we're lucky to see him in his home ground, expense Darren Smith. And, and that's going to be a total banger. They're not like, – I don't know what's going to happen in that fight card. But stylistically, that fight seems like something that they're going to want to keep on the feet. And then you work your way down, man. you got Scott Hudson, Austin Tweedy, 11-3. and three. These guys are big names, good records, and they're quality fighters. And when they're competing in a cage, you're going to get your money's worth. I've spoken to a lot of the fighters coming in from the U.S. They're very excited to experience Canada and to fight for Unified. Unified has a really good reputation, even south of the border. We're lucky. And a lot of that goes with guys like Rob. Uh, you have to build relationships with these guys and make sure you do what you say. And they couldn't be coming. I'm not going to just create very good, great places to come in Canada. But coming into Toronto, they're going to see a lot of cool things, man. There's so many things they could do there. Um, but I think, yeah, man, we're excited. We're bringing in a lot of American fighters. And you're going to see a lot of that going into next year as well. We weren't able to do that as much right when we started getting going. Because just with airline, everything like that, with all the restrictions and stuff, you couldn't fly. But now we're bringing in more and more guys, and they're and they're competing well. Like our last event, we had uh, uh, Brandon Jenkins. He fought Neil Anderson. We have uh, our heavyweight champions now as an American. So we have our first American champion, and I think uh, you're going to see a lot more of that following into next year as well. I was thinking on Friday, you guys have the best announced team you've ever put together. I, do you agree? I, I couldn't agree more, man. It's a, it's an impeccable broadcast team, and that was something else from Rob. Rob's like, there's there's different things you can do, right? You have to take little steps and baby steps to make sure you don't bite off more than you can chew. And I think it's, it's I'm not going to say it, it's our best broadcast team because we've always had an impeccable broadcast team, but it is incredibly knowledgeable, uh, very experienced, and they know a ton about combat sports. And when we're able to relay that to new fans or uh, existing fans, they appreciate that, man, because they, they, they want to know what's happening in that fight. And when they're able to discuss that properly, like I love the broadcast team at UFC, and I'm expecting some similar, not similar qualities at our next show, and especially in Toronto. The one thing I'm disappointed about, though, is myself and John Ramdean. I mean, you bring in Mike Malach, you're going to make us look bad. I mean, this guy's a handsome fellow, and Ramdean and I, you know, we do our best. You guys are all handsome fellows. You guys are going to look great up there. I think, uh, I think when you guys, when you join up as a team, uh, I'm incredibly excited to see what you guys do together. And, uh, yeah, man, it'll be great. Well, I agree. I think it will be great as well. I think that we're going to be prepared, ready to go. And I think everybody in Mississauga and, of course, surrounding areas, because I'm sure that there are, there's a groundswell of people that are uh, just hungry for regional MMA in Ontario. What, what's the ticket sales been like? Is it, uh, is it trending towards a sellout? We're 80% sold out. So we're happy. This card, when we were coming in there, we weren't planning on – this wasn't a financial decision. We weren't coming into Toronto to make a lot of money. We were coming into Toronto to make a foot ground into Ontario to just provide what people can see with a unified show, and, and they can expect that in the future when we come there. The fight card is great. The production is going to be next level. It's going to look incredible. Our broadcast team is great. Everybody on the ground, it's, it's just going to be something that – yeah, because regional MMA is there in, in Ontario. There is a couple of promotions doing their thing, but I don't think anyone's really made that jump into producing like some quality shows that I think Ontario deserves. 15 million people, some of the best gyms in the country. These guys want to compete in their home ground on a quality, high production level show, and, and that's why we're coming there. And when you look at Ontario, I, I do think that, you know, in the past, we've seen the commission's been a little bit difficult to deal with, but they have had some changes there. What's it been like working with the Commission in Ontario, how easy is it for a regional promotion to put on a show here? Every commission is difficult. Calgary's difficult. Uh, River Cree's difficult. Ontario's difficult. The only thing you have to do is they're going to send you a list of what needs to be done. 
you sit there and you read that thing every day. And if you do that, they're not difficult. They just need to follow their bylaws. It's not up to them. There's there's decisions behind them. Sometimes dealing with less experienced commissions, like I have gone to small towns in Alberta and stuff like that. Those are quite difficult because they don't understand. Like if you have someone who focuses on law or just different things, like you need to be a specific human being to govern combat sports, to see who's fighting, who's competing. Uh, our experience, my experience so far with the Ontario Commission has actually been great. I think they're just by the book. As long as you do what you got to do, they'll let the fights happen. They have to be quality matchups. And whether it doesn't matter where we're going, we're trying to put on quality matchups. They have yet to say no to a matchup for us. And that's just because we're providing them with a good fight. Um, everybody's got their medicals passed and they're able to compete on fight night. And once you get this one uh, done in Ontario, it probably will be easier going forward because they'll have seen the level of professionalism that's coming with a unified show in Ontario. I hope so. Like I said, I, I tell this to a lot of people, man. I've been doing this since 2009. My first show, I was 24 years old. This show was harder than that one. Nothing gets easier, man. It just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. It's, you're doing bigger shows. You're, you're bringing on more people. Nothing simplifies as you continue to grow. Once in a while, you might get a fight card. Nothing happens. It sells out in a weekend and you go into the show. Like that, that is, That's happened to me a couple times. But the rest of the times, you're fixing, you're putting on fires. You're just trying to – there's so many different people to be involved that are involved in a single in a single event. So you just have to work with so many people and, and get to fight night. So it's the same thing with the commission, man. I think as we grow and uh, we continue to work with them, similar to the ones we do with the, with the River Creek, the Pendle Commission is incredible. We'll learn, to do, uh, we'll learn what they need to do and make sure we're prepared a lot better. Well, you should be very proud of what you built 13 years ago. Kid with the dream, 24 years old, like you said, and now you're almost at 50 shows. So congratulations on that, and it's a pleasure speaking with you. Looking forward to this Friday show, uh, as well as the Saturday show, which takes place in Edmonton. Uh, thank you for this, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm now joined by Darren Hollywood Smith Jr. Appreciate your time, Darren, wearing an army fatigue. So tell me, what do you do in the army? What's your, uh, what's your role? Uh, I'm a 19 Delta. I'm a calf scout. Uh, basically, the eyes and the ears on the ground force. We do a lot of recon, um, a lot of scouting, pretty much. Yeah. So, how do you juggle that with your professional mixed martial arts career? Uh, you know, I've I've always had to to work another job so I could train, and so now just being in the army, like I have like a set hours where I know like this is the time I have to go to work. This is the time I have before work, and this is the time I have after work to get my training in. So I feel like the Army has helped me um, become more disciplined and and value the time that I have in between um, each session as they go on. And how long have you been enlisted in the Army? Uh, it's going on a, a little over a year and a half now. I think I'm like a year and eight months. Okay, so this is a fairly new occupation in your life. So what made you decide to get into uh, being part of the Army? I always said that if I wasn't fighting, I would be in the Army. So uh, I, I, when I started fighting, I, was, I think I was 6-1. I, I was like, uh, I have my first loss. I was thinking about uh, enlisting. And my recruiter told me, he was like, you know what? He was like, you're doing good. You're young. Uh, he was like, see how far you can go and um, – fighting and then come back he's like the army's not going anywhere and so um i kind of took that to heart i did i've done a lot in the sport there's still more that i i want to accomplish and i feel like i need to accomplish but uh i don't want to i don't ever want to have this like thing in the back of my head saying what if uh 
you would have done it. So I feel like I'm at the peak of my uh, physical abilities right now. And so it's a bit, no better time to, to enlist. And I'm enjoying it. I wish I would have done it uh, years ago. So elaborate for me on what some of those goals are that you're still hoping to achieve in your professional mixed martial arts career. Um, uh, for sure, becoming a champion again. I was King of the Cage champion and a couple of, of regional uh, champions in, uh, in California. But um, becoming another champion, especially in a big promotion like Unified, would would certainly check that one off the list. And then, like everyone else, is making it to the UFC and, um, you know, putting that stamp on it. On, on your career because that's like pretty much you made it and then going from there so win over shane campbell of course that would make you the uh super lightweight champion of the unified do you feel like that's on the radar for the ufc i mean it's, it's airing on ufc fight pass do you think that this particular win would get you to where you need to be in order to potentially get a maybe a short notice fight with the ufc at some point i feel like it would i feel like he's uh his resume is solid and uh him being a champion for a different organization and then actually having fought and won in the UFC is just huge. And that would do nothing but just uh, bolster my stock. This will be your third fight this year. You're so far undefeated in 2022. Um, so you're able to maintain a good level of activity in terms of your competition as well as uh, being in the army. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that in itself is just, uh, yeah, I'm three and O or, I'm I'm trying to go three and zero, but like they they've they've all been short notice fights, less than like three weeks notice. Like I haven't really had a full training camp to go out there and like let it all. Like I haven't had like hey this is the date, so you have two months or six weeks to get ready. Like I haven't had that yet, so um, I feel like again being in the army, I'm always like I'm keeping my physical peak uh, high all the time just in case now um whenever a fight pops up it, it works out you fought chris curtis about uh almost three years ago and uh, leading up to that fight you said that it felt like you were going to be facing your mirror image that you you fight very similarly to Cur to chris curtis um chris just won in the ufc this past weekend looked fantastic uh compare your game to his i, I know uh, like i mentioned it seemed like you felt like the two of you had a lot of parallels uh uh, he's just doing great things. I I feel like um, it, it it is very we are very similar that um, each division that we're in. I mean now he's fighting at middleweight. I'm like Jesus, can't believe I fought him at uh, 170. But like each division that we're in, we're we're shorter shorter stockier guys, but we're like the bigger guys in the ring, and we throw really heavy. So. Um, seeing how how successful he's been is just you know motivated me to 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 get it moving because our fight was competitive until i broke my hand in the second round so that just you know it adds it adds to my confidence that like he's doing so great now and just like three years ago we were just banging it out so you know it, it's just like I'm, my confidence is, is high right now so you mentioned earlier you haven't been in the army for that long but any interesting stories from uh, your your pursuit so far, you've been in the army for just over a year. Anything stand out that uh, you tell friends about? Nothing really. Yeah, it's just I, uh, a lot of training, a lot of getting ready, and uh, just in case scenarios. So just being prepared and ready to go at a moment's notice. 
And I heard a story of how you got your nickname Hollywood. You were, I guess, being interviewed very early in your career. And they said you were basically camera ready. You were good to go. So uh, tell me, tell me the full story. How did Hollywood come about? Uh, at my like original gym, I was, I was getting ready for my second amateur MMA fight. I had a couple of Muay Thai and boxing fights up until then. And they were doing this big piece uh, at our gym because we had a, a couple of fighters uh, getting ready for fights. So they wanted to interview me, but I was the, I think I was the co-main event for this amateur show. And I was just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like, I don't want to talk to, like, I don't, like, they can watch me train, but I don't want to talk to anybody. And then my coach at the time was like, if you do an interview with them, you won't have to go run two miles. We would do two miles after every practice. So I was like, all right, like, I'll go talk to them. And so they ended up spending like 20 minutes talking to me way longer than everybody else. And everyone took notice because I was like laughing and happy. I was happy because I didn't have to go run. But everyone thought like they were like, oh damn, like look at like look at Darren just acting all Hollywood now. He has cameras on him. And so from that moment on it it just stuck. Well, it's a great nickname. And you're from around that area, right? You're from like the Los Angeles area. Yeah, I'm from LA. And what was it like growing up in LA? I mean it's a, a city where a lot goes on. Yeah, it's just it 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 was it was a cool experience. Uh I don't have anything bad to say about it. You have lots of people that you interact with, and I feel like that uh, helped broaden my horizons, uh, being overly friendly with everyone I come into contact with and then all my opponents, too. Like, I I try to chop it up with them after the fight, and um, I follow most of them on social media. So I think I'm just just having all that diversity down there and interacting with them on a day-to-day helped me as uh i got older and who are you training with now out in washington uh i'm over at sarasik muay thai and vital jiu-jitsu in tacoma that's like my main training spot but uh we have a couple guys here on base uh who train as well so a lot of different varieties a lot of different looks when you said you were in washington i assumed it was dc because you're in the army so you're in the state of washington state of washington yeah washington state have you visited Canada before, um, either for a fight or just to go over the border? Just, I mean, you're pretty close to the Vancouver border. Uh, always for a fight, never just for like funs and giggles. Uh, we were supposed to do something as a as a unit, um, a couple months back, but I think it's getting pushed to summer of 2023. But I've had uh three fights out in Canada so far, so um, two and one, looking to go three and one. So every time I've gone out there, it's been awesome. I love the experience. You had one fight in Bellator. You won in 34 seconds. They didn't bother to call you back. I mean, what, did they lose your number? Nah, they, I, that, uh, again, short notice. Yeah, that was short notice, short notice fight. Uh, and then, you know, you, you beat one of their, their hometown guys. They don't, they don't, they didn't want me back. I don't, I don't I'm waiting on the call back, but. <laughs> think it should be the opposite i mean you come in there you're expected to lose they put you in that position you win in 34 seconds they should think they have something there yeah you know but it is what it is it just helps it just builds my stock and have you been to toronto before in particular uh, i don't think so no no no, no. I, yeah ac i think uh when i fought for acb it was out in toronto i think don't quote me on that that was like five years ago but yeah uh i've heard nothing but good things uh i heard it's like it's similar to new york 
but cleaner. So I'm excited. You've been a pro for nearly 13 years. So when you can't remember the places you've been, I think it's because you fought so many times. Is there a, yeah. a, a particular place that you went to that had a, an interesting story to go along with it? Uh, when I fought out in Russia for ACB, that was a, a whole different experience. That just, that, that whole thing, like flying out there, uh, trying to, or making weight, and then figuring out that they don't have the same um, re, uh, drinks or rehydration tools that we have in the States or in Canada, um, that was mind-blowing. So what did you do? Uh, <laughs> what uh, happened? I felt like a, uh, I felt like I was a, a, a dried piece of, of beef jerky. Like if you like, I cut, I made the weight, and then trying to rehydrate. Like I didn't put anything back on, and I just felt dried up. And so uh, that uh, after the first round, I was like, oh yeah, like my 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 tank is empty. I don't mean to play conspiracy theorist here, but did the Russian athletes get better amenities in terms of rehydrating? Uh, possibly. <laughs> that was that was the only time I've ever felt like I was like, oh man, I'm I, I I'm not putting water weight back on. I feel dried up, like nothing's going as I planned. After every weight cut, like that was just like a unique experience. And then it was also just really cold out there like stupid cold well you're coming to toronto uh we're supposed to be having a lot of snow when you uh get in this week i'm not sure if you're aware of that so yeah I mean, we can't we can't help you in the in the cold uh situation oh, no. I, since being out in washington it's been snowing out here so that's gotten me used to that type of weather so i'll, I'll be fine all right darren well, it was a pleasure to meet you uh best of luck is the main event of this weekend's unified uh, sorry, this Friday's Unified 48 card against Shane Campbell's for the Unified MMA Super Lightweight Championship. Appreciate your time and thank you for doing this. Look forward to meeting you this week. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Thank you. A big thank you to all of our guests and a thanks to you for tuning in. This is likely going to be the final interview ed uh, edition of the year because uh, next week, of course, uh, or I should say this Saturday is the last UFC event of 2022. So they are going to be off for about a month's time from December 17th, and I think they're back on January the 14th. So a little bit of a time off. Hit the reset button for the UFC and hit a reset button for me. It's time for me to take a little bit of a breather. But, uh, you know, we've still got some content coming your way next week. Uh, however, I don't think I'm doing enough interviews next week that would uh, satisfy an interview edition. So we'll see uh, what ends up happening. I'm hoping to speak to some of the fighters from the uh, Bellator versus Ryzen card. And, of course, I've got the uh, year-end um, special that I do uh, year after year with the kind of uh, look back as well as a predictions segment on what we can expect in 2023. So thank you for tuning in. You can catch all of my work at www.aaron.report. And uh, if you have some time on Friday night, check out Unified 48 um, on UFC Fight Pass. I'll be part of the broadcast team. Appreciate that, TSN giving me the green light to be part of this broadcast. Uh, it's really a dream come true for me. It's uh, kind of a bucket list thing for me to be in the broadcast booth, not just for an MMA event, but any event. You know, like I, I've, done, I've done it for basketball before, university basketball, college basketball in Canada. But uh, to be able to do it for mixed martial arts, which of course is my passion and uh, my, my profession and what I've poured so much of my life into over the last seven years, uh, it's really 
quite uh, exciting to get to do that. So very much looking forward to that. You can check that out. Again, UFC Fight Pass on Friday night. So I'd like to say, as I always do, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.